Welcome to Personally Invested. I'm Dave Richardson. This time I sit down with Jeremy Richardson. Now, Jeremy is not what you think. He's not my brother. He's not my cousin. He's not my uncle. He's actually a very successful portfolio manager with RBC Global Asset Management in London. He and a previous guest, Habib Subyali, and their entire team focus on global investing. But Jeremy has a unique perspective on ESG, environment, social, and governance, as a screen for making investment decisions. In fact, Jeremy thinks that this is an undiscovered gem for investors in terms of analyzing companies beyond their financials to identify companies that will perform better than others. Who knew that having a good track record on environment, treating your employees well, and having good governance and accounting practices would lead to better investment performance and, in many ways, a better world? Well, I think most of us know that, and Jeremy and his team are applying it to investing. I think you'll enjoy the discussion. Jeremy, welcome to Personally Invested. Great to have you here with us. Great to be here. In, uh, we're over in London, and uh, always, uh, always great to get the opportunity to, uh, to visit the team here uh, with yourself and Habib, who uh, we've had on the podcast previously. And I should note for, uh, for anyone listening, uh, in the same link, uh, under the same banner of RBC Global Asset Management, uh, investment podcasts. You can find the podcasts that Jeremy and Habib and their team do on a regular basis. Uh, for those of you who really like to get in depth on different investment issues, it's an outstanding podcast to listen to. Uh, they make, uh, is it funny? Uh, it's, some of them, yeah, there's a few bits of humor in, in, a, in, a, few bit of the, uh, in a few of the episodes. Yeah. In, investment management, uh, funny. Yeah, yeah. Basically, it's us trying to sort of take the wind out of the beep sails a lot of the time. <laughs> <laughs> well, and and, uh, and and then and just something else to preface the uh, t- today's discussion: uh, we are not related. No, <laughs> at least not that not not that we're aware of. No, that's right. We haven't done the DNA test, though, have we? The uh, the, the, the the smart wing of the family we've got uh, we've got here today as a guest. So, uh, so so Jeremy, I, I think uh, even even I we've we've known each other for a few years, but yeah. uh, but I don't know uh, that much about your background in terms of how you got into uh, into the investment industry. I guess you've always been in and around London, but yeah. uh, but but how did you how did you get to RBC Global Asset Management? Well, it's, um, so I started off. Uh, doing economics when I was at university, which I found absolutely fascinating because it, it was a, a subject that for me began to explain a little bit about how the world works. And some people define economics about the allocation of scarce resources. And it showed that there's an interplay, explained to me that there's an interplay between certain things like inflation and unemployment and, and taxation. And, and yeah, these are all interconnectedness. And it began to sort of make me understand the world of the, how the economy works and when I graduated, I was then faced with the choice about what I wanted to, to do and with this sort of economics learning. And it was basically a choice between accountancy and law. And I, I realized pretty early on that I was absolutely hopeless at arguing a, a, somebody's uh, legal case that I didn't necessarily believe in. Um, so despite uh, being given some very early advice when I was uh, at school, that um, and I remember the, the report my school teacher wrote saying, I do not recommend that Jeremy goes into a numerate career. Um, <laughs> I actually chose accountancy uh, and started at, at Pricewaterhouse uh, uh, back in the day doing audit. And that was a wonderful education 
into the micro. Uh, so if economics are like was like the macro side of things, and accountancy taught me the micro and actually how companies worked, the nuts and bolts of it. Um, you know, uh, debtors, you know, um, inventory, stock, uh, accounts payable, all that, all that stuff. But also it's the internal relationships that are so important to make I mean, companies really. Successful. I'm, I was very privileged. Uh, I don't think it happens quite the same way these days. But I was introduced to lots of different industries. Now, I found when I was um, an accountant that I really enjoyed the first few days of every new assignment and meeting companies because it was a way I learned a huge amount. And I found the companies, the people, and the, the industries really, really interesting. But actually, auditing the pensions accrual on, in week three was a lot less so. Yeah. So, so uh, after a period of time, after I qualified, I hung around until after I qualified, um, I then decided that actually there must be something I can do which would be able to combine both the macro with the micro that I would also find interesting. And that led me into the world of investment management, which I've been doing now for uh, several years. <laughs> I can't forget how many <laughs> along. Um, at a number of different firms. And uh, I, I, I bumped into this team uh, at the period of its inception when it was at a, a different firm. We started back in Although I should, I, should, I should interject, this sounds like the old Monty Python skit where the accountant goes into the uh, to, to uh, the, the, the person, to the headhunter, uh-huh. and is looking for a new job because accountants are boring. <laughs> and he wants to be a lion tamer. And they ultimately recommend that he goes into banking. Yes. <laughs> Which is, you know, a nice step. So I guess going into investment management is, is that kind of a step. It's not... It's not that much more exciting. No, but, uh, well, I, I don't know. I mean, it, it, uh, to yeah. me, it's a it is a wonderful job. I don't think I would I'd want to do anything else because no two days no two days are the same. There is such a um, I, I learn a huge amount. I have the enormous privilege of being able to meet with senior man, um, participants of, of, of companies. Uh, senior management teams and ask them what I think sometimes are actually naively stupid and basic questions and they humor me with the response um, uh, which is sort of I think a huge privilege and um, yes. I'm, I, I learned such a lot from that but also I learned the markets themselves are uh, so intellectually stimulating that uh, you know, it's a, a wonderful combination of that element of competition because you're always trying to do uh, a good job for your investors a good job for your clients and at the same time you're, you're frankly you're, you're trying to beat your competitors as well um but also you're you're sort of filling up that fount of knowledge you're 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 um you're uh, uh you're you're um learning and you're improving and you're getting better and i think that's a really sort of it's a wonderful pursuit i don't think i'll do anything else yes and 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 to be fair i think it's incredibly exciting as well and Mm. and anyone listening to this particular podcast would be it it is almost lion taming within the uh, the world of numbers (laughs) investment (laughs) investment management and and investment uh, advice to uh to to clients and investors so 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 if someone's listening they, they they agree with you that it's it's an exciting world but uh, so so uh, we, we we taped a, a, a podcast with Habib, uh, who who you work with uh, on on your investment team, and he talked a lot about the process that mm. you follow in, in in detail in general. But but you in particular are are quite passionate about uh, ESG or environment social governance as an important part of your investment process and the success and sustainable results that you and the team have generated. Uh, as investors over the years, 
And, and I, what, what I was hoping we could do just in the next few minutes for primarily for Canadian investors is, is define what that is mm-hmm. and to also uh, take some of the take away some of the misconceptions in terms of, well, if I if I look at these factors when I'm investing, this might I'm giving up something in terms of, of a potential return so, yeah. so that there's some kind of a trade off there. Yeah. So, so when, when I say ESG, what does ESG mean to you yeah. as, as an investment manager? I think the first thing to say, though, is that ESG as a, as a moniker, as a collection of, of letters, is perhaps poorly defined. It's come to take on uh, a general sense of meaning, but often we would say that in terms of environmental social governance, the one thing that isn't in there is, is stewardship. And actually, if you're thinking like a long-term investor, stewardship is something you should really be concerned with. So we should think ESG not so much in terms of what the discrete letters stand for, environmental, social governance, but in terms of actually as a, as a tool, as a framework for reaching more complete and holistic decisions. And what I mean by that is that it's a way in which a long-term investor can help uncover for themselves risks and opportunities that they may want to think about in when making an investment. Now, the reason why I say long-term investor is because many of these risks and opportunities can play out over time. So if you think that uh, investing is all about renting a share certificate for a short period of time, uh, maybe you're a high-frequency trader, then these types of issues are unlikely to interest you and appeal to you because you're, you're really not going to be on the shareholder register when these things actually convert from being sort of just sort of ideas into actually impacting for the financial statements and, and the share prices of the companies. So you need, to, you need to have the right approach to wealth creation, the right approach to investing for you to care. But if you do have that long-term time horizon, if you do think in terms of you know, investment being a marathon, not a sprint, it's about consistent wealth creation through sort of a disciplined approach, then ESG is something that you really should be thinking about because it's not it's, it's, a, it's a huge opportunity in two ways. Firstly, if you have a more complete assessment of a company because you're also considering some of these non-traditional sources of risk and opportunity, then you, it can help steer you away from a lot of bad stuff. Um, now, perhaps you, so the issue of um, uh, so like governance, for example, uh, governance and stewardship, you know, both are, are really, really important. Um, and it's a little bit like driving in some ways because we all want to get where we want to where we want to get to safely and on time. And in some ways, your sort of stewardship is is how you are driving. It's about sort of getting there safely and and in line with your expectations. But governance is what's there to hopefully save you when things go wrong. It's like putting on the seatbelt. Now, if you don't have good governance and something bad happens, and you might be a wonderful steward. It might not be anything to do with your fault. It might be somebody else's on the road. It might be a weather event, whatever it is. And something, the car gets into a spin. It's often too late to reach behind you and put on the seatbelt. Sure. So making sure that you've got the right governance in place is actually probably in your interest if you think like a long-term investor. Sure, things might be good today, but if the right structures are in place, then if anything untoward is to happen, that I can't necessarily predict but if there's right governance in place, then I, I know I'm, I've got a more resilient investment because I'm, I've got a more resilient company. Similarly, in terms of the opportunities, um, you know, going back to when I was an accountant, you know, when I used to go out and do auditing and you know, 
ticking and bashing, we used to call it. You know, looking at the uh, company's balance sheets, fixed assets, current assets, liabilities, all the things that we know and love, dear to my heart. Um, I never, ever, ever had to audit human capital, culture, you know, innovation, organizational health, none of this. And yet we know, I mean, David, I know yeah, you yeah, know yeah, in particular absolutely. because yeah. you know, you're a, you work in, you know, we, as we both do, work in people businesses. It's the people that make the company, right? Absolutely. absolutely. And, and, and there's a uniqueness. There's something that's really, really special about our organization because of the people who work there. If we were to sort of remove everybody from RBC and replace them from one of our local competitors, it would change the organization. So there's something unique about that human capital. And if you are a long-term investor, you should probably care about that. And actually, you need to look beyond just the financial statements, beyond what the balance sheet is telling you, to these extra financial assets and liabilities. You know, these, we call them contingent assets in our, in the, within the team. But these, for us, we think are underappreciated by traditional financial analysis. But if you're invested in a company which has got these extra financial assets, these hidden attributes, um, then using this ESG framework, you're better off, you're able to ask different types of questions, you know, get behind the numbers, which are at the end of the day, just an output, to understand the key inputs that go into but, but as a skeptic, maybe, I, maybe this is asking from uh, an accounting perspective, uh-huh. how if, I'm, if, if you're not there working and living in that company for an extended period of time, can you actually go in and measure the, the people, the way those people are treated? Yes. Uh, the culture yes. and that it's a positive or net positive to the, the, the potential success of the business over the long haul versus having no value at all. Yeah. So um, you mentioned measure and that's, that's frankly, that is very, very hard to do. Um, uh, we, as you often say, you know, not everything that counts can be counted. And when it comes to these types of uh, almost intangible uh, aspects of, of, a, of a company's um, health, it's often hard to associate a particular number with it. But you can get a sense of whether something is in good health or in poor health. But you have to, you need a couple of things. First of all, you need the right motivation. You need to have a long-term, you need to think like a long-term owner of a business. If you don't have that, you won't be interested and uh, you'll get distracted from your purpose. And, and that's a fundamental part of your investment process. Yes. That you, yes. you really view yourself well, as owners over a long period. Absolutely. And it's, it's, it's foundational. It's elemental to how we approach the thing. And we, within the Global Equities team, we often you know, refer to our purpose which is to make a positive difference. And we can make a positive difference, we think, to our investors, to the nature of the returns that we, we offer them, uh, we generate on their behalf, but also to the companies that we're invested in. Because you know, we want to you know, engage with those companies and hopefully try and make them better because we believe that's in our investors' interests. But also, by doing that, we can also extend that benefit into society as a whole. Now, if you're a short-term investor, if you don't, you know, none of that is going to matter to you. Yes. Uh, and you know, you're going to wander around with your head down looking at the ground trying to see if you can you know, find a dollar um, that somebody's fallen out of their pocket. And that's going to be how you try and approach, you know, try and add value. And that's, but we think it's... You know, that's not the way. We'd much rather go around planting acorns and you know, growing slowly and surely and steadily and you know, one day actually sort of getting to the sky. So, um, so it's a, uh, you, need that, uh, you need that perspective. So the second thing you need, though, to try and get measure these, um, these, these alternative aspects, these intangible aspects of companies, is you need, the, you need to, uh, um, to ask 
different types of questions. You need to try and explore these things in, in a more imaginative way. So if there aren't numbers in the accounts that tell you about the health, health of corporate culture, and there are other ways which you can get a sense of that. Um, first of all, you can go and talk to the company itself. Um, you can talk to management teams. And when we meet with management teams on our investors' behalf, we are often having conversations with them about things like staff turnover, um, employee net promoter scores, um, you know, things like how easy to recruit people and how well are you succeeding in retaining the key uh, talent that you would like to uh, hang on to. Uh, you can go and talk to people who used to work at the company for perhaps more of an un unvarnished uh, assessment of what the company is really like. You can talk to people who do business with the company, suppliers and customers. Um, there are other tools. So if anybody listening has um, got spare 10 minutes, um, it might be worth checking out a website called glassdoor.com. Uh, and it's a little bit like TripAdvisor for companies because on that, score, on that website, individuals can rate companies on a series of different criteria. And it's a way... You know, it's, a, it's not a financial tool as such, but it's a really helpful tool of us to be able to, as, a, as the name suggests, look inside uh, a company and get a sense of, uh, of the health of its, of its corporate uh, culture. But we try and do the same things when it relates to environmental, um, so things like water usage, things like um, uh, carbon uh, emissions, uh, things like uh, recycling and um, control over wastes. Uh, we've spoken a little bit about about governance, but on governance, what we'd like to see is management teams who think like owners, who are there for the long term, who care about the long term success of a company. And you know, I've, I've spoken before about my, my family's farm, not my farm, my uncle's farm, as um, up in Cheshire. And um, you know, if you if you own a property, my, my uncle has a farm in Cheshire too. Is so that maybe, right? Maybe we're making the link now. <laughs> Goodness me! Look Goodness me! I only think you look good in gumboots. Yeah. <laughs> So if you, but if you think like an owner, of, you know, as this, what was that word? Um, so was it Johnny Depp who said, you know, the fastest car in the world is a higher car? You know, <laughs> yeah. you know, I, I own a car, and I tell you, I don't drive it as if it's the fastest car in the world because I own it. And so if you own a real business, it's, it, it, you think about it differently. Um, you, know, you, you care about how it gets passed on, uh, and you make long-term decisions for the health of, that health of that company, health of that business. And we think that's in our investors' interest as well because – at the end of the day, who wouldn't want to be invested in a business that's getting better over time? And the uh, and and the farm analogy is 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 what your uncle would do. Yeah. In so, terms of, of preparing for the long haul. So, yeah, exactly. So I so when I was a, a youngster, we used to get put in the back of the car and driven up to, to Cheshire, which is sort of northish of of, of England. Uh, and that side of the family, I come from a long line of second sons, and the second son never ever inherits the farm. So, um, but that side of the family had all the all, all the land, and they were the, the, the farmers. So we go up and visit. And I remember when I was a youngster, sitting with my siblings in my um, aunt's kitchen, and my uncle. We were having tea at the time, and my uncle comes in, and he's wearing green overalls, and he sits down in the, in the chair, and he's taken off his boots because every time he comes into the house, he has to take off his boots. Right? Those, those are the rules at my aunt's house, and. Uh, farmers, particularly my uncle, uh, are never particularly happy people. There's always something that's not quite right. And he's been out on the, in the fields with a backhoe digger clearing out the ditches. And he spent all day clearing out ditches. And he comes in and he says, it's not as though the cows know I've done it. <laughs> it's not as though the cows know I've done it. And it, it always stuck with me because he, he, went, he, went out, he went out and did it anyway. Not because the cows know he, whether he did it or not because it was the right thing to do. Because if you didn't clear out the ditches on a regular basis, the fields would get waterlogged, 
the grass wouldn't grow as quickly, the cows wouldn't get the nutrition that they wanted, and the, uh, the, you know, the, the value of the farm would diminish over time uh, because the milk yields would fall. And when he came then to pass that on to my cousin Andrew, it would be in a less good condition than when he got it um, from his father. So my, my uncle very sadly passed away last, last, um, uh, last winter. Um, we buried him in the churchyard just down the road. And so now it's my cousin who is managing the farm and he's digging ditches so that when he comes to pass it on to, to his kids, it's going to be in just as good condition. And it's a different way of thinking about, about long-term stewardship. Sure. Okay, so let, let's just finish off with the payoff. Um, again, for, for Canadian investors who might say, I, I understand that if I think about the long haul that this is going to add value and, and, and I want to own the company and participate in that uh, sustained growth, but I still feel like mm. there's a trade-off. Mm. If, if a company's not 100% focused on generating profits, Mm. then I, I'm giving up something potentially in returns. And, and, and I know both of us would say that that's just the wrong way to think about it. But it's a, I think it's a very, it's a very pertinent way, uh, argument, and it's something that we encounter a lot even today. And this is the sort of fiduciary interest argument. And I think it goes back to a, a piece that was written in the early 70s by Milton Friedman, I think it was the New York Times, saying that the social purpose of every company is to maximize profits because then you end up with an efficient allocation of resources and that creates, you know, that grows the, the, the pie and so everybody's slice gets a little bit bigger and that's a good thing. I guess this is sort of like, you know, what I was learning at university when I was doing economics. Yes. Um, today that's kind of being challenged, I think, because people aren't looking at it in terms of sort of, um, uh, in terms of the, the, that measure of, of value creation. Um, so short-term profit maximization may not ha- create long-term value maximization. And it's a little bit like the, you know, the unsustainability of if my uncle had not cleaned out the ditches. Because if he hadn't done that, then he would have been able to do something else with his time. He wouldn't have used the, the diesel, his tractor and equipment would not need to be maintained so much. There would be a saving that he could have pocketed. That would have maximized profit. But it would have diminished long-term value and when we think about ESG, actually, what we're really focusing on, on I think, is on that long-term value maximization. Uh, and it's not the case that you have to give up necessarily short-term profits either. I mean, uh, it may cost you a little bit more to do the things that you should be doing, but it might not. And often we find, you know, talking to companies that, you know, so we're sitting in a studio here, and I can't see um, what the light fittings are in, in, in detail, but you know, if you were to replace the light fittings in here, with, let's say with LED, modern LED lights away from the sort of phosphorescent light bulbs, actually you'd make an immediate saving and it would have a good environmental impact. So it's not necessarily the case that this stuff is going to actually cost you more. You could actually do the right thing and save money. Um, good corporate culture shouldn't really cost you anything else. It doesn't cost you to be nice, does it, really? Yes. I mean, it shouldn't do. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you're a good case in point. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for that. <laughs> <laughs> so if it doesn't cost you to be nice, well, just be nice because actually you know, it's in your long-term interest and it adds value. Yeah, yeah. And, 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 and I mean, in, in, in today's day and age, and why it, why it makes so much sense is, you know, with, with media and social media and a company that is doing something that is environmentally damaging, 
it gets out in the press, mm. people don't want to buy that product anymore. That's a really, that's a really, really good point because uh, there, is, there is a sense, I think, as well, that societal expectations are shifting. And anybody who's got a smartphone in their pocket now is a reporter. And actually, in terms of thinking about if you, if you were a company, having a, you know, a company that, where every employee is an ambassador and making sure that the, that corporate culture is the right corporate culture, that you're respecting your coworkers, your suppliers, your customers, and, and the society you're operating within. In many ways, that's your first line of defense. Yeah. And so it, uh, in, in, in today's world, I mean, we could argue that in, in yesterday's world as well, but certainly in today's world, uh, these are factors you, you just yeah. have to consider to, to deliver sustainable results from an investment perspective. So, and, and obviously, the team has done an exceptional job. So, we, so we would say, in terms of thinking about ESG, it's just good business. Exactly. exactly. Well, Jeremy, I've, I've really enjoyed the chat today. Thank you, uh, thank you for joining us on Personally You're Invested. You're welcome. I enjoyed it too. Thank you for listening to Personally Invested. If you have suggestions for future podcasts, please email us at rbcgampodcasts at rbc.com.